everyone, this is Kate McGaw, founder and CEO of Arclight Agile. I'm a certified Scrum trainer and I'm passionate about training leadership agility. And welcome to our podcast. And I'm Ryan Smith. I'm a certified Scrum master and a certified product owner. And today's topic is the MVP. The MVP, how do we determine what it is? How do we work towards one? What is it? and all those attendant issues. It seems to be coming up a lot lately. So Kate, what is an MVP? An MVP stands for minimum viable product. So when we are delivering a product or service in a scrum environment, we are wanting to get the basic working model out the door. We can come back in phase two or release two and add more features, but the goal is to get the stable working model out the door. So there's a, a lot of um, visual images around this. There's the, the skateboard to the bicycle to the car. And that's not what we're talking about with minimum viable product because there is too much rework. If you think about the wheels and the chassis for the skateboard and the scooter and the bike and the motorcycle and then the car, how we want to build the minimum viable product is we've got the, the chassis of the car, we've got the wheels and Basically, we could have people pushing the car if we wanted. That is the minimum viable product. Now, not very good use of people's time, but we're getting the basic working model out the door. Maybe for release two, we've add, added the engine. Um, release three, we, we've covered it up. I always say that get the basic working model out the door if you're thinking about a car in our environment. And then Phase two, you can add the alloy wheels, the Dolby surround sound. Phase three, you can add the heated seats and the, and the sunroof and things like that. But the goal is to get something into the hands of our customers as quickly as possible. Uh, we talked about the Agile principles in a, a previous podcast, and we talked about deliver working software or deliver working product frequently from a couple of weeks to a couple of months with a preference on the shorter timescales. So we're wanting to get something into the hands of our customers to make sure it is something they actually want. Right. So there's a very long-winded explanation for you. Right. But it, it encompasses a lot of the really important things about the MVP. And I think there's a lot of confusion around it. Um, but before we get on to that, I think we had some other alternative terminology to the MVP. Yeah, I, I've heard clients sometimes talk about MMF, minimum, minimum marketable features. So what are the features that you can ship with? Um, I had a, a, someone in class recently who talked about MVE, the minimum viable experiment, trying to make sure we're encouraging our teams to continually inspect and adapt. So lots of different ways, but when, when we're looking at creating our MVP, what is the minimum we can ship to our customer and have a usable product or service? For them. So a lot of times, one of the techniques we use, some people use it for um, to identify business value. Some people use it to help with ordering the backlog. And, and that is, is what we call the Moscow method. So M is what are the features we absolutely must have? That beca becomes our M's and our minimum viable product. 
the S are what are the things we should really have? We could ship without them, but we should really have them. And then the C is we could get them if we had time. And the W is we want it for the future. So the M's and that are the must have. So we'll take those and then we will order the, those in the correct order for the team to work them. Right, the Moscow method, which I probably yeah. should use more often in practical. I should, I, that's a concept I need to really, there's so many concepts and there's so yeah. many things and sometimes it's hard to keep straight. Like, oh, right, there's that other tool in my kit. Yeah, and some people will use it to for business value, mm. um, and some people will use it for ordering their backlog. So it's used in a couple of different ways, but I think it's it's a really good way if you've got a virtual team to have your MSCW up on Mural or Miro or something like that, and have the team put the user stories where they feel they belong. Mm -hmm. So it's something that can be done sort of virtually or in person, but actually laying out the MSC and W so everyone can see because the temptation is, oh, well, everything is a must have. Well, you know what? If you put everything as a must have, you may end up getting none of it. So we've got to have this ordered list. And I think you and I've mentioned this before. A prioritized list is high, medium and low. So, mm -hmm. and we can't give that to the team, but an ordered list is number one, number two, number three, number four. And our goal in Scrum is to always have the team working the highest value item first, and it's going to be ordered at the top of our backlog. Right. I did the exercise recently with a team where I did the, you know, what do you do from the moment you wake up? Till the moment you get to the office yeah. and it yeah. was just like and they and then we grouped them under like mm -hmm. this is self-care this is pet child care this is you know uh, sanitation whatever we grouped them yeah. and then i hit them with the now you have 15 minutes to get yeah. to work what mm -hmm. stays what goes and yeah. it was just like and it was a really good activity it's a really great activity because it makes them think about you know the user some people yeah. have pets some people don't some people have kids some people don't some people have a partner, some people don't. And it sort of put them through those paces about like, okay, I have to really take this into account and that into account. Like, but our MVP, yeah, what has to happen for me to get from bed to office in 15 minutes? Yeah. And, and it is, was mm -hmm. and it was shocking the things that they ejected. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, I, anytime I've done that, I've got people coming in pajamas that without their teeth, <laughs> without their teeth done in the office. But yeah, no, I mean, and I, I've done that. It, it's a, a concept a lot of times called story mapping. So we're yeah. walking the user through it and I will have a team do it together and have everyone do their own. And then um, we will, okay, group them together and, and all five team members together and see what you have in common. And then I do the same. Okay, your alarm didn't go off. You've got 15 minutes to get into the office. What are you doing? So- and yeah. Yeah. And for the and I, for folks playing along at home, I just held up the uh, user story mapping O'Reilly book from Jeff Patton. Mm -hmm. I've been sort of making my way through. But what I really loved about that activity was that it like, as I said, OK, you have 15 minutes and they pulled off the things mm -hmm. and they it was you could see the revelatory nature of it. Like yeah. people's eyes were like, oh, yeah. Oh, and they had a stack of cards like on the table that that wasn't going to happen. It was like, that's your MVP. Yeah. 
That's what's Absolutely. that is like all the must haves, I suppose. This, th these cards, you getting up and meditating for 20 minutes and reading for 20 minutes, whatever, those are all nice to haves. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they'll happen in the future. Put them on the mm -hmm. backlog, prioritize them as you see fit, but gotta walk, gotta feed and walk the dog. Yeah, you know, that's got to be in the MVP, you know, or like here, here, you know, really look at what's essential. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's really the trick is, and I think it's true for at the epic level. I think it's true at the user story level, like what has to be here, like yeah. what, what has to be satisfied and what can wait, what's a nice yeah. to have. And I think that brings us to the sort of, I, I've really been digging in on the Nirvana fallacy. Yeah. Lately, you know, because it smells like teen spirit. Like what it just because it's not perfect, or just because it's, you know, like the user experience isn't like the most amazing thing ever, doesn't mean it's a bad product. We have yeah. to put something out into the world and A, see if people are going to engage with it. And then B, we can iterate on it. Yeah. But I, I I was in a meeting today and somebody was talking about future proofing and it was just like you may never get to those features. Yeah. You yeah you know it's like we're gonna put this thing out and we're gonna see if people use it. Why waste time on things that may never happen? Absolutely, and I I think there's the 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 fear about getting something into the hands of our customers when it's not perfect. And that's up to us to educate the customers. Look, we know this is not perfect yet, but we want to get your input on it. Um, right. and, and that also leads nicely into the concept of incremental versus iterative delivery. The, mm -hmm. the iterative, um, a lot of times people get incremental confused with iterative waterfall. And incremental, if you, if you imagine we're building a web page, the incremental version of it is we, we've got the, the, the basic outline of it, maybe not even in color yet, and maybe it's just black and white. And then we come down in sprint two and we're adding more color to it. Maybe we're adding some of the basic buttons to it. Sprint three, we're coming back and we're adding more content and we're doing some exceptions. Whereas iterative, we do the top of the page and then we do the middle of the page and then we do the bottom of the page and we have nothing that is usable right. until three or four sprints in. Whereas if we're incrementally adding stuff to the basic working model, we get it into the hands of our customers sooner. Right. And I think that, that people are trained to do the the sort of the iterative yeah verse you know they it's just like well we'll put this in place and then we'll put that in place and then we'll put this third thing in place and then it will be perfect yeah and and then we'll we'll get it out in into the world it's just like no we really want to get the thing out yeah and then see what needs to come next yeah like yeah, we, what features yeah you know, my classic example is always add edit and delete user profile you don't need to be able to delete the profile day one. Like yeah. that can wait. Adding it is the important thing. All the questions or all the things you would put in a user profile, most of those don't need to be there day one. You know, and then we can come back and we can see, oh, you know what? We had 300 people sign up for a user profile. Great. Let's iterate on. I was going to say one of the other things with our minimum viable product is we can take it one step further. I had um, somebody recently, I want to be able to pay by pay for X with a credit card. 
Now, that wasn't a user story. I mean, it was way bigger than one user story in one sprint because we wanted to be able to pay by Visa, by MasterCard, by PayPal and things like that. So we ended up dividing it down into we'll, we'll deal with Visa first. Right. And it will deal with Visa happy path first. So nobody's yes. card gets declined. Nobody fat fingers their zip code or, or three digits and things like that. So again, stripping it down to the minimum we need in order to get something a customer can use. And I, I think there's also that there's a certain amount of fear around the, well, I've got to, I can't just give this to my customer after one sprint because it needs two or three sprints worth of work. And I'm, I'm always, that's okay. It's uh, meant to be potentially usable, the increment. Doesn't mean the customer's going to use it, but it means it's tested and it is ready to be potentially usable. And we may not ship to production until the end of the month or the end of the quarter. So it, it's, it's understanding what the different terms mean in your own environment. Yeah, I, I run across this a lot, right? Because it is very environment uh, dependent. Yeah. You know, I'm working with a client right now who has a year long persistent login. So when the testers, the QA folks come back and they say, well, if you're not logged in, and it's just like, well, but our users have to be logged in. Like it's persistent for a year. We have this sort of subset of people that use our website. Like that's an edge case. Yeah. Don't don't worry about that. That's not a blocker to this feature going out because yeah. 99.9% .9 of our people are logged in. Yeah. So, you know, that's good. That can go out. That is a minimal viable product. Thanks for calling out that thing. We'll take care of it. Like, cause there was a big empty screen. If you were not logged, they're actually, their thing was that somebody, they created a brand new user who then tried to click on the link. And it was like, we don't really have users yeah. like that. Like we're yeah. not going to, in the next two weeks, four weeks, going to have anybody that creates an account and then suddenly goes to that link. Good to know. Yeah. The UX person's on the call. They're going to go create a cool page that can go out. Yeah. Totally fine. And I think those nice to haves or the, like recognizing what's an edge case. Yeah. Edge cases aren't minimal viable products. Like you got to strip those yeah. out and be like, like and I, I always call them out. I say, like, can we all agree that that's an edge case? If so, can we, let's capture yeah. the ticket and worry about it later. Yeah. And I, I mean, what we're talking about here is very much the Pareto principle, right. which is, and we, uh, we want product owners to bear this in mind when they are writing user stories or backlog items, because we're looking for an environment where the team is spending 20% of their time to get 80% of the product or 80% of the outcome. So when we're writing user stories, we should be focused not on the output, which is the amount of points, for example, that the team does. We should be looking at the outcome, which is the result of the work. What benefit did this feature bring either to us as a customer, maybe it brought us new customers, maybe it increased our revenue, or what benefit did it bring to our customers? Did it reduce liability or risk for them? Did it save them 20 minutes a day? But we, we should always have product owners writing user stories or backlog items with the, what is the impact of this? What is the outcome 
that our end users want rather than what is the the output which is okay well the team's going to take they'll get this done within the sprint and we size it at roughly five story points or whatever yeah and that can be as we've talked about before that becomes a game yeah oh we did this many points we did this many tickets it's like right but did you deliver something of value to your customers yes yeah. or no? well yeah. we're building towards that it's just like could but could you have and it's i think it's easy for people to work themselves back to sort of incremental waterfall by saying you know this sprint we're going to do this and next sprint we're going to do that and next and then the following sprint we'll do this and voila we'll have this product yeah. or we'll do the back end this sprint and then we'll do the front end next sprint and then and you're just like now we're all disjointed we're all over the place we're running two separate sprints you know like you got to get back to what's valuable to the end user. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know. It, it's so surprising. I have to keep saying that to people. Like it's called a user story for a reason. Yeah. And okay. I think, think that's the reminder that we need. We're writing things from the point of view of our end user. And we're focusing on who is our dominant or our, our fo focus for the first release. It's not everyone. Our product is not going to do everything for everyone out the door. So right. let's look at all the features that our, our core customers are using and let's get those working first because then that gets, again, back to the Pareto principle, that gets 80% of our customers off our back right. if we can make sure we're writing our backlog items in that format. But to flip it, because I'm dealing with people who have a product so we have the train barreling down the tracks yeah. 100 miles an hour. So we're bolting things on, mm -hmm. but we know who our users are. So it's easier to say that would be nice, but guess what? That's because I have people in meetings like ideating and thinking they're like, what if a user does this? And what if a user does that? And it's just like, none of our users do that. Yeah. Like yeah. that might be nice in the future, but right now for this thing, that's an edge case. You yeah. Gotta, tell them, tell them not to do it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Well, or like, oh, one person called. Okay. One person. That's yeah. not like, we didn't set the world on fire. You know, people aren't like at our doors with torches because we, you know, set the world on fire. But like, it is that idea that oh, we have to make everybody happy all the yeah. time. And it's somebody once said to me, they go, are you happy? And I go, I don't think I'm supposed to be happy all the time. I'm not unhappy, <laughs> but yeah. I do think I'm supposed to be, you know, happy 100% of the time. Like, I'm okay. Like, this is an okay experience. I'm fine. I get it. Yeah. And all of this is talking about the minimum viable product. We've got to have the customer involved in that decision. Yes. This is not up to our team to decide in a vacuum. Well, this, this is the minimum they could use. We want to check with the customer because we want them on board with this process. So we need them to say, okay, this is what we have planned for the minimum viable release, the minimum viable product or minimum marketable features. Maybe even have the customers or end users do a storyboarding exercise with us so right. that we can say, okay, back to what you were saying with the, the ad delete and things like that. Okay, well, when we're booking a flight, if we're creating a travel booking system, we, we need to be able to book it. Right. We can change it later in phase two because there is a workaround. I can call the airline and change right. Um, so it's just understanding the concept of well, what what is truly 
the minimum viable? What is it your customer has to be able to do in this version? Doesn't have to be pretty. It's got to be functional, functionable. Is that even a word? Functional and usable. Right. And and I think that just it it can be a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around. Yeah. Like it just and it's funny because you can do these exercises with the people, you can sort of step them through it, but it's it just is a hard concept for them to to wrap their head around. Um, I was talking to you before I read that article. Yeah, for years I've used the skateboard, scooter, bike, motorcycle, car. It's yeah, like we're building towards it. And then I read the article about, well, actually the bike's a better analogy. Yeah. And I've been working on a presentation to give to you know people I work with about how the bike came about. And it, you know, it didn't really look like our modern bikes. And yeah. Do you know the story about like why the bike was in invented? I, I think you and I discussed it before, but go on ahead and because not everyone will discuss, have heard it. Did we, so, I'm not sure we discussed it. I'm not it sure online. if we didn't, we, did, yeah. we might have discussed it. So basically what happened was the train comes along in like 1810. So you figure before the, uh, the train that all you have is people moving by feet, by horse, by boat. In 1817, there's a volcano eruption that changes weather around the world. There's like the summer without... Uh, the sun and basically crops are dying and animals are dying and people are starving. So there's a shortage of horses. And basically this German guy says, how do I get to the town without my horse? So the idea is I have to travel around the countryside. I don't have a horse. What can I do? So you, you figure he's looking at the world and really what he has is I've, I, I would have had a horse drawn carriage. How can I get my carriage drawn without the horse? So he basically you know, comes up with the proto bike. And it's more like what you see today, the kick bike that little kids learn on, you know, where there's no pedals, there's no chain, there's just a seat, a basic wooden frame and two wheels. And, yeah. you know, like you kind of lay down and you sort of scoot yourself on your legs to get around. Now, if we lived in a world, like that's a minimal viable product. Like I can now get around faster than I could walking. Yeah. Like I got two wheels. We've, you know, like, so it's sort of like he sort of smashed the horse and the cart together and took the best parts of each. And he's like, I just have to get around. I'm not taking my wife and my kids and a whole bunch of stuff to town. It's just me. So I'm not carrying cargo. I'm just trying to get to town. So you can see the proto bike, which didn't really take off because the technology was limited, but you really almost immediately see people start to iterate on it. And as the technologies come along, like rubber for tires and like these other technologies, you see the bike really evolve. As people take it and they go, oh, wait, here's my use case. I'm a woman, I wanna ride the bike, but I've got this giant skirt. You know, yeah. so you, see, you start to see all these different use cases come in. And the bike really evolves with those use cases because it goes from being a novelty to being like, wait, this can get us around our modern cities. And then as the technologies, like I said, get better, you really st start to see those leaps and those standardizations. And, you know, we're still undergoing that now because now we've come back around to electric bikes. Yeah. You know, you've seen a lot of bike advanced technology in the last 60, 70 years. 
So it is sort of a more perfect example than the, the skateboard to car, because it's really like, I've lost my horse, how do I get around? And he really looked at the world and said, here's my minimal viable product. It's yeah. two wheels and I sort of scoot on my belly, but I'm going to get places a lot faster than I would walking. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to get feedback on is, is the grind too muddy to do this? Okay. So if it is, do we need to change the wheels and things like that? It's, it's all about customer involvement and making sure we've got the right customers giving us the feedback we need in order to take our customer, our, our product forward. Right. And he, he, you start to see that as you see all the different iterations of the bike, you can see where it's, I have to be able to haul something. I want to be able to control it a bit better. I want to be able to break. I want to be, you can see all these things come in and then sort of figure out solutions. And you see false starts, but then you see real evolution in the bike. It's kind of the perfect example for, here's our minimal viable product. Let's get some feedback. Let's figure out how, let's, and let's figure out how people want to use this product. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's a good place to end. So make sure that you understand what your minimum viable product is. What are the minimum features, minimum marketable features that you can <laughs> deliver and have your customers use it, give you feedback so you're delivering in an incremental fashion. So that's it. Thank you for joining us today. You will find us on Twitter at Arclight Agile. You will also find us on LinkedIn at forward slash Arclight Agile. So share your thoughts with us on this episode and send us any topics you'd like us to discuss in the future.